enough how much you need to be here for two reasons tonight. One is the Lord's Supper. We're observing the Lord's Supper, our Advent Lord's Supper, uh, and we're going to do that first, and then we're going to share about Peru, and those two really do tie together, uh, celebrating the Supper and missions, and so I hope you'll be here for the service tonight because it will be a special time. Uh, also, next Sunday morning, I hope you'll be here to hear Dr. David Sills. Uh, Dr. Sills is Professor of Missions at Southern Seminary, and uh, he'll be talking, he'll be here for a multitude of reasons, one, uh, Lottie Moon emphasis, uh, I hope you're praying about and uh, considering how you're going to be involved in Lottie Moon offering this year for, for international missions, and he's here for that, but he's also here because he is uh, something of an expert, he did his doctoral dissertation on the Quechua Indians of South America. And while we're working with Quechuas in uh, Peru, Dr. Seals uh, is sort of specialized in the Ecuadorian Quechuas, but they're all related, and so a lot of their, their uh, understanding and all is very much the same. So I hope you will be in prayer for Dr. Seals as he comes. As a matter of fact, he is in Ecuador right now. He was supposed to be here today, and uh, he thought he was leaving uh, tomorrow for Ecuador, but they changed his, or that he found out his plane tickets were for yesterday, so he had a difficulty of being there and here at the same time. So he uh, changed that, but he will be with us next Sunday morning. So be praying for Dr. Seals as he comes to share with us. And I, I reemphasize what Ricky did earlier. Make this next Sunday night a, an invest and invite event. Invite your friends to come. The choir's been working hard uh, preparing for our Christmas uh, uh, Advent, uh, Sunday before Advent, Sunday before the celebration. Uh, music and we'll have a great time together worshiping next Sunday night. Uh, it's it's good to be back in the states. As most of you have asked, I got a little bit of a touch of something on Friday night and called or sent Scott an email and told him to be ready to preach. He would probably be preaching this morning, and he's sitting here a disappointed man this morning. <laughs> but um, it's bad when you know your staff is praying for you to stay sick one day longer. <laughs> no. I tell you, I'm so appreciative of, of Scott and Ricky and Todd and, and their ministry here. It's just unbelievable. And uh, I, I wish all of you, I hope all of you have the opportunity to see Todd operate in Peru. I hope you have the opportunity to go with him and be there. Uh, he just has a heart for that, and it's just unbelievable to see. So uh, I hope you'll be able to do that. But God has blessed us richly with three men who are just uh, unbelievable to work with, and I thank God for them. Now we come to the text. Matthew chapter 2, we come to what we've sung about some this morning and, and uh, Brother Jeff referred to, and that is the visit of the Magi uh, to the Lord Jesus in the time of his birth. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no, uh, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi, Magi 
and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This is the word of God. You know, as we look at this, there's a lot of things that just seem to pop out immediately when you think about the story of the Magi. Most of us are very familiar with beautiful nativity scenes. Now, this year we only have Mary Joseph and the baby Jesus up here. But a lot of times you'll see the, the, the manger scenes and the, the nativity scenes that have Mary and Joseph, the baby Jesus, of course, plenty of animals and, and a little creche there, a little, little stable. And then they'll have the shepherds standing close by and the, and the magi, the wise men as we call them, will be standing close by. And you have all these people in very close proximity. Quite likely the Magi did not appear for maybe a year or two until after the birth of Christ. They probably were not there at that initial manger scene on the night when Jesus was born. One of the reasons we know this is because it says right here in Matthew's account of this, if you look down toward the end in verse 11, it says, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary. At some point, they had moved from the manger, from the stable, into a house. And so evidently, Mary and Joseph had stayed in Bethlehem, had secured a house there, and were living there with their child that had been born to them during this time that they had come down there for the census that were told about at other places. So the Magi come. Isn't it amazing that in Matthew's account of the birth of Christ, he says very little about these men just that they came. Uh, you know, we sit around, we want to know, well, where did they come from? Well, probably, most likely, from the area of Persia in, in that day. But, but we don't know a lot about who they were. We know they came from the east. We know they came bearing gifts. And we know that they followed a star that led them there to Jerusalem and then led them to Bethlehem to where the baby was in the house with his mother. We talk about them being wise men. Well, we, we assume they're wise because they came looking for Christ. But there's no indication by Matthew that they are necessarily wise men. We sing at Christmas time, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we've traveled so far. You know, and and we, we always have three magi, three there we call we three kings. But Matthew does not tell us there were three kings there. There were three gifts. And so I guess we just kind of extrapolate out of that that, well, it must be that there were three kings if there were three gifts and each brought a different gift. Well, that might be. There might have been a multitude of these magi, these wise men, these, these royalty-type people that came looking for Jesus Christ. But there's one thing that's very significant about them that we do know. They were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. Now, it's amazing that Matthew in writing the most Jewish of the Gospels. 
in writing to the Jewish people to show them that this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is the one that God said was coming to deliver his people and to redeem them. In the midst of the most Jewish of all gospels, at the very beginning, Matthew comes along and talks about these magi, which are Gentiles, coming from the east, following a star that God had indicated to them they should follow. I think that's very significant because I think what Matthew is saying is, Israel, you need to understand that while this is your Messiah, while this is the one that has been promised by the prophets for many, many years, thousands of years, while this is the one that you have specifically been looking for, you need to understand something. This Messiah is not just for the Jews. This Messiah is to come to bring the gospel to the world. This Messiah is to open up your mission that you, Israel, have failed in in taking the gospel or taking the truth of God to the, to the nations. You have hoarded it. You have sat on it. You have thought you were so special because you got it and you alone, when you were to be a missionary people and an evangelistic people all along, these magi, these Gentiles come and they show that God is coming to show us that the, new, the good news that's coming in this baby is for the world. Now, that's amazing that Matthew brings these Gentiles into the picture. Then we have this star. Boy, there's been debate through the centuries about what this star was. Some have said, well, it was a comet. It, it just came at just the right time, and the comet led through the air, and these magi looked up, and for some reason they said, you know, we ought to follow that. Uh, it doesn't tell us how God revealed to them that they ought to follow this star that they saw, but... But, but they did know they should do it and it's indicated that God had indicated to them that that was what they were to do and they did it. But some have said it was a comet. One astronomer a, a couple of hundred years ago decided that through his calculation that really what it was was that, that Saturn and Neptune came lined up just right and it glowed brightly and all of a sudden it made this star and they said, wow, that's different. Nothing like that's ever happened. We need to follow it and see what that's all about. Now, I do believe that God can use natural circumstances of the lining up of Neptune and Saturn. I do believe he could have sent a comet at just the right time for these, disciples, or for these magi to follow if that's indeed how he wanted to do it. But I think it was far more than that, my friend. I think what we see in that star, we see something akin to what we saw in the Exodus, what we saw in the, the wilderness experience of the Israelites when they were leaving Egypt on their way to the Promised Land, wandering for 40 years, and the Shekinah glory of God went before them. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night indicating the very presence of God. And I think in that star, what you have is the Shekinah glory of God. He has revealed to these magi, these Gentiles, that something significant is happening. One who is born king of the Jews. One who is born as a, as a redeemer of his people. And they should follow that and they should find him. And when they find him, they should bow down and worship him. Wow. I mean, I mean, this is, we, we can come up with all sorts of naturalistic explanations if we want to. But I think the most clear th indication of what Matthew wants us to see here is that God was at work to lead these magi out of Persia, out of the east, and lead them 
to where this baby was born, where this baby was living, perhaps as much as two years after his actual birth, but to get him there, get them there, that they might acknowledge him, that they might worship him. These did have something of a royal nature to them. We three kings, I don't know if they were kings or dukes or earls or what they were, but they were in royal family. And they came because this was not just a king being born, but this was the king being born. And if you look in those first verses of chapter 2, they, they come to Herod, the king, who is a, who is a illegitimate king, by the way. He has finagled his way into that place, and he is ruling over them as a, as a Roman uh, surrogate. But he is not a legitimate king of the Jews ruling in Jerusalem. But they come to Herod the king and they arrive from the east and they say, Where is he this born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Now look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Well now that's only natural. That's only natural. He was troubled. Because he had established himself as king of the Jews. He had established himself as king of Israel, over Israel. And now they come saying there is one who is born king of the Jews. If I were an illegitimate king sitting on a throne, and here is one who is now going to be declared king of the Jews legitimately, I would be troubled. But what about the second part of that verse? And all of Jerusalem with him. That indicates the Jews were troubled by this. When they heard these magi talking, his word went out. And, and I don't think every single individual in Jerusalem got word down to their homes and everything that the, that the Jerusalem Gazette somehow got out the news that was happening and they were worried in the uttermost parts of, uh, of the, the village, you know, or the city. I don't think it means when all Jerusalem was, was troubled, it means that every single individual was worried about this. But it did mean for sure that the religious leaders were. They didn't want a king of the Jews. They didn't want a legitimate king who would come and establish a kingdom because you see, they knew that what they were doing had been an illegitimate worship. They knew that what they were doing had, had led the Jews astray and had brought them into subjugation under Rome and they were, they were now surrogates themselves of Rome. They were now puppets of Rome. And so when they heard this, they were troubled along with Herod. And so he brought in the chief priest, and he brought in the scribes of the people. And he said, where is this one going to be born? And they quoted the prophet. They said, well, the prophet says he's going to be born in, in Bethlehem, the land of Judah. And Herod called the Magi back in, and he said to them, listen, man, this is great news. Herod was not only an illegitimate king, Herod was a liar. Herod was a, a fraud in every respect. And he said, this is, this is great news. I want you to go and find this one who's born king of the Jews because I want to I wanna go too. I want to go and, and worship him also. So you go find him. You go search carefully for the child. And when you found him, come back to me. Tell me about it that I may too come and worship him. You notice in verse 7, he wouldn't know the exact time the star appeared. He wouldn't know the exact date. 
which gives us indication that it was some time before it appeared at the birth of Christ more than likely, but, but now it's been some time. Herod wants to know the time. That's why when later on we find that Herod is going to call for the, the, the slaughter of every child in, in, in Israel under two years of age because he wanted to exterminate that one child. And he was willing to sacrifice all the children if he could get to that one child. And so to be sure he got them, he said everyone under two will be murdered. Everyone under two will be eliminated. And so he wanted to know when and where because he wanted to find out a way to block this one whom he could never block. To stop this one from reigning whom he could never stop. He wanted to be able to find somehow that he could reclaim, re retain his throne and not be challenged by some child born. So they said, okay. They heard the king. They obviously were very respectful. And they went their way. And the star reappeared and led them. The Shekinah glory of God, I believe, led them to this house where Mary and Joseph and the baby were now, and they went in and they found him, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they saw that star, and they followed it and came to the house of the child and Mary, his mother. And when they did, they fell to the ground and they worshipped him. I think that's the indication of their wisdom. That's the indication that they were wise men. Because when they were encountered with the child, when they were encountered with the Son of God, when they were encountered with the one who was born King of the Jews, they did the proper and the right thing. They fell on their faces. They bowed down before him. And they worshipped him completely. Oh, they worshipped him. And they brought gifts. Much has been made of the gifts that they brought, and, and rightly so. Uh, it says that when they did that, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, those are all different, very different. And, and the last one, myrrh, is a bit strange, as we'll see in a minute, to bring to a young baby. But they all represented prophetic truth about this baby. Gold is the king of the metals. It is the, the height of all metallurgy. I mean, gold is, is the most valuable of any metal that you can find. And, and even now, if you go back into the Middle East and the, and the Far East and you, you find a king's grave or a king's tomb or the pyramids, for instance, and you open them up and you go inside where a king has been buried, that, that grave, that tomb, has been adorned with gold. Because it is a royal medal. It is a royal representation. And so this, this first gift that the Magi bring is a gift of gold. It's a gift to acknowledge his kingship. It's a gift to acknowledge that he is who they knew he was, the king of the Jews that the scripture had prophesied about and had told about. And they came, they brought that gift of gold, and they laid it before the baby because he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords a kingly gift then they brought frankincense frankincense is, a, is an incense it, it's a sweet smelling incense that was used in worship as a matter of fact if you go back to the book of Leviticus and, and look at how the, the worship took place 
incense was offered to God and it went up as a fragrance under the nostrils of God and that indicated that the people were worshiping and there was a sweet smelling fragrance that would go up. The Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian Christians talks about them as being a sweet smelling incense or a sweet smelling fragrance unto God indicating that their worship and their service and their ministry was like incense. Their worship was going up to God and was pleasing and sweet to God and in His sight. This incense represented worship. In the Old Testament, in, in Leviticus, when it talks about these references, you never found incense offered at a time of a sin offering. Incense was never involved in sin. When they went to offer the sacrifices for atonement, they didn't use incense. They didn't mix those two together. But incense was used sometimes to mix with oil, especially frankincense. They would mix it with oil, and then they would anoint the, the priest and the high priest head with it before they would go in. And then they would burn the frankincense in the, in the place of worship that it would fill the place and, and it would go up into the nostrils of God and, and it would please God with their worship. Gold said this is the king. Incense said this is the one to be worshipped. This is the one to be bowed before. This is the one who is not just a king. He is the king. He is not just a baby. He is God incarnate and worthy of our worship. And then there was myrrh, the strangest of the three gifts to bring to a baby. Because myrrh is the substance the, the, uh, that's used for burial. If you read over later on in the Gospels, you'll find that uh, when Jesus was taken down from uh, the uh, down from the cross, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and the others that that cared for his burial uh, did it hastily, but they used a hundred pounds of myrrh to to wrap his put around his body to preserve his body as they laid it in the grave. Myrrh was used for burial; it was used for uh, preservation of the body after it had died and they brought to this baby the, the item of death again prophetically talking about not only this is the king not only this is the Messiah the, the, the Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer that is to be worshipped but that his worship would come out of his death that he would die as an atonement that he would die to redeem his people. That the cross was a reality. Again, I always come back to that little statement that I always love to make around this time of the year. And that is, I said it last week, the cross was always behind the cradle. The cross was always behind the cradle. You cannot have the, the beautiful nativity scene without the reality of the cross. You cannot have the joy of Advent and the joy of Christmas without the horrors, but yet the suffering and the joy of Christ on the cross. The cross was always behind the cradle. And those magi who came from the east brought their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Prophetic and kingly, 
Some believe that the gold, being the great gift that it was and the value of its day, is what Joseph and Mary used when they had to flee from Bethlehem, when they had to flee down into Egypt in order to, uh, to avoid the slaughter of the babies that Herod had, had mandated and had commanded. And they used that gold that the Magi, and that's certainly speculation, but some believe that that was a part of the great gifts that those kings brought, that they were able to now take flight and go to Egypt and get away from that slaughter of infants. Wow. What a, what a glorious celebration when those Magi came. We call them wise men. And wise men they probably were. They were wise because they sought the Messiah. They, were they got an indication by God, and they, you can almost say they got a call by God's Spirit to, to pursue the child. And they did. And they, they followed the star, and then they sought for information about the child. They, they went to the, the, the height of power where the king was sitting. Illegitimately so, but he was sitting. And they said, can you tell us where the scripture has indicated that the king of the Jews is going to be born? They sought information. But when they got to that child, they worshipped him. They fell before his face. They fell before his presence. And they worshipped him for who he is. There was one foolish guy in all of this. There were some wise men and there was one supremely foolish person. And that was Herod. Herod had all the, had all the information he needed. I mean, the, the, the scribes, and the, well, I guess there were some other foolish people there too because the scribes and the Pharisees uh, really participated in Herod's foolishness. They had all the information they needed. They had the prophetic utterances. They had the prophet's words. They knew where he was to be born. They knew that he was going to be born. They had all the information they needed. And yet rather than doing what the Magi did, rather than falling and desiring to worship him, they desired to destroy him. You know, we live in a day not at all unlike that day. You know, the old, you'll see the Christmas cards and you'll see the bumper stickers and you'll see everything. Wise men still seek him. Yeah, they do. When God grants wisdom to a person, they seek the Messiah. They seek Jesus Christ with all their heart. Foolish men still try to destroy him. Foolish men still try to eradicate him from their life and from their culture and from everything else. But you know what, what Matthew really wants us to see here above everything else is this is the king. This is God incarnate. This is not just some man. This is not just some teacher. This is not just some new prophet on the scene. He's not some rabbi that just came to give us a lot of pious platitudes and teach us a lot of great, neat, spiritual stuff. This is the king who came to die to redeem us. You know, I, I love C.S. Lewis's little trilogy statement. When he said, you've either got to take him as a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. He 
he's, he can't be he can't be all of the he's, he, he can't he's got to be one of those three here is this one who came and said I am God the father and I are one if you've seen me you've seen the father follow me I am the door enter in by me I am the bread of life eat of me and you'll never hunger again uh, again I am the way the truth and the life he who believes in me will never die. I mean, this one who comes and says something like that, if he really wasn't, if he was just lying, if he was just a religious charlatan like so many that we see on television today, then, then he was a liar and he was not a good moral teacher. Good moral teachers are not liars. But maybe he was crazy. Maybe he was like the person that you could go up to any mental hospital and find who says they are God. Or they are Jesus Christ. I mean, they're out of their mind. So maybe he was just a lunatic. But again, a lunatic cannot be a good moral teacher. A great man. He either is a, a liar, a lunatic, or he is who he said he was. And if he is who he said he was, he's not to be trifled with. If he is who he said he was, if he is who he is, and he is, then he's not to be ignored. He's not to be taken for granted. He's not to be assumed upon, presumed upon. He is to be worshipped. And that's what the Magi teach us. That's what the Magi show us. And so in this Advent season, what I would say to you is don't play around with Christ. Don't play around with this because He has said your eternal destiny rests upon you believing who He is. And putting your faith and putting your trust in Him. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we've traveled so far. We need to come as the kings did. We need to come as the magi did. And bow before him. And worship him. And submit ourselves to him. Unreservedly. This Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father, that Jesus came. He came in that first Christmas with great joy by the Magi and by the, by the shepherds before them and by Mary and Joseph when they had revealed to them who this was that Mary was carrying in her womb. Father, at every point they rejoiced. Father, I pray this morning that Jesus Christ, the Lord, would become even more real in the lives of every person sitting in this room today. That, Father, you will show your glory, your Shekinah glory, your powerful glory in and through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.